Hey, my name is Ryan McVitie, and I am the pastor of the River Worship. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. If you haven't heard about the river yet, it's an amazing move of God happening in the greater Toronto area. Yes, Toronto, Canada. It's a cold place, but we have warm hearts, and we love coming together every Tuesday night and worshiping the Lord with all we've got. We also get to dive into the Word, and that's where we're going to go right now. We're going to dive into the Word of God, and I trust and pray that it will impact you in a powerful way. If you're ever in the Toronto area, come visit us. We would love for you to worship with us together. But enjoy the message, and God bless you. I'm glad you're excited. But this message tonight might not be for the person who just hollered and screamed. This message, if I'm being real, might be for the person who's here just barely. You know what I mean? You ever been somewhere and, and you're just barely there? Like, your body is there, but your mind is somewhere else? You know what I'm talking about? This message tonight is for somebody who is feeling under pressure. Someone who has been feeling the pressure coming around from every angle. This is for you tonight. Anybody here that's been feeling some pressure in their life and bold enough to declare it? That's good. This is for you tonight. I'm really glad you came because this is for you. And uh, to get started, would you do me a favor? And would you look at your neighbor and choose the one whom you love? The first overall draft pick. Come on, I'm watching. This is interactive preaching. Pick them right now. I'm coming out here to check on you. You got them? The one whom you love? The one. Stop looking both ways. You can't cheat. The one whom you love. You ready? And say this. Repeat after me. I'm pressed. I'm pressed. Okay. Now look at your second overall pick. That's rude. The person that you ignored a quick minute ago. And say, second ain't bad. That has nothing to do with my sermon. I'm just trying to bail you out since you didn't pick them. First you said I'm pressed. Now you're going to say something else. You're going to say, but I'm not. And now you're going to say this with conviction. Conviction. Crushed. I'm pressed, but I'm not crushed. Come on, somebody believe that tonight? You're pressed, but you're not crushed. You got some fight left in you, and that's why you're here tonight, because you haven't given up. You're pressed, but you're not crushed. And that's not some cute words from Ryan McVitie. Those are the words of the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians, he writes a letter to the church at Corinth. He founded the church at Corinth in Acts 18. And some things go wrong, and they get some letters. How many people know that if Paul was alive today, we would be getting some letters? I mean, there wouldn't be one in two Corinthians. There'd be like one in 222 Corinthians if he was still alive. He writes some letters to them, and six or seven years go by, and, you know, things aren't exactly how they should be. So he starts giving them some constructive criticism, and he starts helping them out. And, and that's what this letter, 2 Corinthians, is like. But we're going to read tonight from chapter 4. And it's not a criticism in chapter 4. Because you see, God loves you enough to correct you, but every now and then he comes and steps in and just encourages you. And there are some people tonight that need some encouragement. Anyone in here need some encouragement tonight? 
Yeah, don't get too excited. It's not fluffy preaching. It's going to hurt, but you're going to be encouraged. Preach it? You say white boy after that? I've been waiting a long time to hear that. That's good. <laughs> Thank you. On that note, let us get into the Word of God. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. Put it up on the screen. We are hard-pressed, not on one side, on every side, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed. We don't know why we are perplexed, but we are not in despair. Verse 9, we are persecuted, but we have never been abandoned. We are struck down, but guess what? We're here tonight, and we are not destroyed. Come on, that's Paul preaching to you. Give it up for the Apostle Paul. But let's get real. Let's not, you can clap, but this is not a clappy moment. This is a real moment. We all get pressure in our life. It's part of life. It's part of existence. There are seasons of pressure. But what I'm talking about tonight is not when pressure is coming at you from just one way. Because when pressure is coming at you from one side, you know what you can do? You can do this. You can still get some space. But when pressure starts coming at you from the left, and you go to the right, and there's pressure there, and you try to go forward, oh, it's still pressing, and you move back, and you're still being pressed. When we are hard-pressed from every side, that's a tough spot to be in. That's the spot that the Apostle Paul is talking about. The spot where you feel like there is no escape, where you feel like the walls are crushing in all around you. I had this beautiful grandmother. She's with the Lord now, but she's from Northern Ireland, sweetest Irish lady you've ever met, my mom's mom. And she had sayings for everything. Anyone have a grandma that has sayings for everything? You know what I'm talking about, or a mama with that? So, so she did. And this one you've heard before. It's, I don't think she copyrighted it because I'd have a lot more money if she did. She said this. She said, Ryan, it never rains, but it pours. That's what I'm talking about tonight. Not when it's a little bit difficult and there's a sprinkle. Not when it's raining, when it's pouring. I'm talking about a real storm in your life. Storms are scary because you don't know what's going to happen in a storm. That's the situation I'm talking about tonight, and the specific area in the Bible that we're going to get into deals with the disciples. Jesus Christ's disciples, they had to deal with some storms. They had to deal with storm after storm after storm, and we're going to jump in into Mark chapter 4. Who was here last week? Let me see your hand if you were here last week. Yeah, last week we were in Mark chapter 5. This week we're in Mark chapter 4. Maybe we'll be in Mark chapter 3 next week. I don't know. It's up to God. But tonight we're in Mark chapter 4. And this is a time where it was literally pouring. This is a literal storm season that the disciples in, are in, a time where they are being pressed. And the crazy thing about it is it seems like they did absolutely nothing to deserve it. You ever been in that kind of storm where you didn't, it wasn't of your own making, it just kind of happened? Those storms are the worst because they catch you off guard. Let's get real for a minute. I'm talking about the storm where you're just going about your day and you get that phone call. And it says, I'm sorry, but she's gone. I'm sorry. Here's the diagnosis, and it's bad. Hey, um, we're making some cuts at work, and we don't need you anymore. We've got to let you go. I'm talking about those kind of storms, the ones that just come up out of nowhere, and it seems like you didn't do anything to deserve them. Deserve them. Those are the storms we're talking about tonight. Because there are other storms, let's be honest, 
that when they come, we're like, yep, knew that one was coming. See, there are some storms where we are the author of the storm in our life. Uh, you know that exam that you had that you started studying at 11 p.m. for, and now you're feeling hard-pressed from every side? Bro, you don't have anxiety, you have procrastination. <laughs> that's a storm where you are your own author, sister, okay? That's, that's not the type of storm that comes up out of nowhere. There are different types of storm in life, but the type of storm that the disciples find them in in Mark chapter 4, which I'm going to read to you in a moment, they didn't do anything to deserve it. They just obeyed the Lord and followed him, and then boom, that's what happened. Anyone like pictures in their books? Oh, y'all just deep intellectuals, and you don't need no pictures in your books. Come on, who likes a picture book? Yes, I love a good picture book. Throw the picture of Mark chapter 4 on the screen. This picture that you're going to see come up on the screen is from a very famous Dutch guy named Rembrandt. You ever heard of him? Rembrandt. He might be the most famous artist, one of the most famous artists of all time. He was a 17th century artist. I'm not bougie or cultured. I know nothing about art, but Google told me that. It's an oil painting, and it really is pretty spectacular. I'm not into art, but this is my favorite painting of all time. And it's not really because it's such a beautiful work of art, which it is. It's because this painting has a story. This painting is part of one of the greatest heist stories of all time. See, this painting from the 17th century, way back, lived in an art gallery in Boston, Massachusetts, up until 1990. And in 1990, these two wise guys, because they're from Boston, dressed up like police officers, arrested the security guards, busted in, took the security guards to the basement, handcuffed them up, and went and stole a ton of art pieces. This was one of them. That was in 1990, y'all. 33 years ago. Guess what? Today, we still have no clue where that piece of art is. And if you do, by any chance, the FBI has a $5 million reward out for any tip. If you just know anything about it, they'll pay you $5 million. Why? Because this piece of art is worth over $100 million now. There is some really rich dude that has this in his basement, and he can't tell anybody about it. That's an interesting story. That intrigued me about this. So I have this in the wall of my office, and it's a cool story to know what happened to the painting, but what the artist was depicting is actually a very powerful story that can help you and will help you in your life. And let me give you some context before we read Mark chapter 4 and get into this story. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus is going through some stuff. Because how many people know that Christ was fully God, but also fully man? So he went through the kind of things that you are going through this week. He suffered. He struggled. He went through some stuff. He felt hard-pressed from every side on many occasions. And the context of Mark chapter 4 is, look, in Mark chapter 3... The Pharisees come to him, and they try to cast a demon out of him, out of Jesus, the one that every demon must flee, just at his name. They try to cast a demon out of him. Then after that, his family comes up, and they tell him he's crazy, and they try to remove him from his ministry and try to stop him. He was dealing with, with some stuff. After that, he's teaching all day in Mark chapter 4 about the parable of a mustard seed. 
faith that can move a mountain, but it's hot in Israel. He's by the Sea of Galilee. He has no speaker systems or microphones or air conditioning. He is exhausted, and that is exactly where we pick up in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, which comes up on the screen. That day, after all of that, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Go back to your first round draft pick and say, the other side. Say it better. Come on, preach it. The other side. He said, let us go over to the other side. Verse 36, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. And then verse 37, a furious squall came up. A storm came up out of nowhere. In Matthew, it uses the word suddenly. In another gospel account, suddenly a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat, so much so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern. Look to your second overall pick and say the stern. If you're nautically challenged, that means the back. That's the back of the boat. The bow is the front. The stern is the back. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Sleeping on a cushion, the Savior of the world. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care what's happening to us? We're going to drown. Don't you care? Look, they had the audacity to say to the one who came to save them, Don't you care? The one that would go on a cross and die for their sins and your sins and my sins. Don't you care? But when you're hard-pressed from every side, you will say things, and you will act in ways that you would not normally act in other circumstances. And this is what the disciples did. They say, God, don't you care? I wonder if sometimes you and I do that. We get hard-pressed from every side. And look, we try to do it all on our own. Put that picture back up on the screen. We try to man the sails. You see what the one disciple's doing? And, and we try to all on our own strength and our own volition get out of this situation that we're being pressed from every side on and then only then when the waves start coming over the boat so bad that even professional fishermen think they're going to drown only then we go God don't you care what about me don't you care about me and I find this so interesting because nowhere in that account do you see them going um hey uh bro Jesus there's some big waves you mind just taking care of that real quick? Seeing you raise dead people to life, you think you could just handle the waves? Uh-uh. They're hard-pressed, and they just say, don't you even care. But verse 39, thank God, he did what he always does and what he still does for you and for me. He got up. Yeah, you can clap for that. He got up. He rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. And in a second, the Sea of Galilee went calm. That's it. Just with those words, the wind died down and it was completely calm. Verse 40, then he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? That's a big statement. Not O ye of little faith. That wasn't this one. That was Peter. No, no, no. Do you still have no faith? Do you get hard-pressed from every side and you don't even come to me and ask for me to intervene on your behalf? 
you you got to get to the point where you say, don't you even care, God? There's a lesson here. And then he says to them that in verse 40, and they respond in verse 41. They were terrified, and they ask each other, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. Because that's a kind of power that they had not seen yet. Maybe raising a dead person to life, maybe they were sleeping, maybe they were, maybe there's all kinds of ways that we rationalize God's power away, but calming the seas, there's no magic trick involved in that. They say, who is this man that even the seas obey him? Y'all, that was important because that was another fulfillment of a prophecy. See, Psalm 107, written 1,000 years prior, foretold that exact scenario. It said in verse 28, which is going to come up on the screen, it said, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. Verse 29. Verse 29. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. See, if you didn't know that, that 1,000 years prior, the prophet spoke that he would do this exact thing, you don't understand why they said, who is this man? that even the seas calm him. You see, through this storm, through this hard pressing, they would find out that he is the Messiah. He actually is who he says he is. He is the Son of God. Who is this man? And they were terrified. And I don't think they were terrified at him. He was their rabbi, their teacher. They were terrified at their lack of faith, that they had let the situation get to that but this storm, my friends, would teach the disciples that their faith was lacking, and it would build it in an incredible way, an unprecedented way. And it's important to recap this story and know about it. You've probably heard it in church before. But the thing you've got to know about it is that that storm was a good thing for them. That pressing where they thought they were going to peril was a good thing for them. See, in the storm and in the pressing season, you get pushed to your potential, and you learn a lot about who you are. Speaking of boats, years ago, my lovely, sweet wife sitting in the front row right here and I, we were on a boat off the coast of Hawaii. Anyone been to Hawaii? Let me see the Hawaii vacationers here. Yeah, it's a beautiful place, gorgeous. We're on this big boat that we were on with a bunch of other people, and we go on a snorkel excursion. But there's a problem. Lindsay has never snorkeled before. And we're like a mile out off the coast. We can barely see the coast. And it's not that kind of storm, that Mark chapter 4, but there's some waves, and it's pretty choppy. If you know anything about my family, you'll know the way that we teach people is we push them into the pool. We don't really tell them what to do. So what did I do? I did what my family always does. And she goes, so what do I do? Don't worry about it. Let's go in. Jump in. She jumps in, I give her the mask, you know, I help her a little bit, get it on. I'm like, okay, let's go, we're good to go, let's do it. And we're out there, and Lindsay is having the time of her life. She, you know, when you first see the underneath of the ocean for the first time, it's like looking at a whole other planet. And that's what she's experiencing, and she's like tapping me on the shoulder. She's like, there's Nemo, look, there's Nemo swimming. And there's, what's the friend, Dory, Dory's right there. Look, 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 they're so cute. And it's just beautiful, it's just like, it becomes like almost this romantic, beautiful experience until, until, I look up and I realize we're not so close to the boat anymore. And then I look at the captain, and the captain does something with his hand that you never want to see. 
he does this. Anybody know what this means when you're a diver in the water? That means there's a shark, yo. That is bad. I have seen Jaws 1 through 9, and I have vowed that I will not go out that way. I know where I'm going when I die, but I'm not going from a shark. Mm -mm. That's not how I'm leaving this planet. So what do I do while I am there? I kick it into high gear. Y'all, I swam like Michael Phelps to that boat. I had a cardiovascular endurance that I never thought I was capable of. I'm going arm over arm, and I'm going to that boat, and I'm praying the sinner's prayer, because I just know the shark's coming up behind me. He's going to bite my leg, and then he's going to do me in, and I'm done. I'm confessing every sin that I have ever done in my life before I get there. And I swim, and I swim, and I get to that swim platform, and I grab it, and I go, praise Jesus, I made it. And I climb up onto the swim deck, and I'm so thankful and happy. And the captain looks at me with utter disgust. And then it dawns on me, I have a wife. And she's about to become a shark snack. And I'm standing on that swim deck, and I look back behind me, and this beautiful woman of God has got her face up all smiling, looking all happy. Hey, where you at? Why'd you go? Nemo's here. There's turtles. And y'all, no word of a lie. 50 meters behind her, not a shark. No, 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 no. A humpback whale surfaces its back behind her. Thank God she didn't see it. She's still focused on Nemo. And I go, I am the worst husband of all husbands of all time from Adam to 2023. I learned a lot about myself in that storm. She learned a lot about me in that pressing. I don't know why she's still married to me. We're almost on nine years. Till death do you part, or a whale, one of the two. Who knows? See, she learned about me, and I learned about her. When you're pressed, you see the real you. See, the disciples, they thought they had faith, but then they got pressed. Don't you care? I thought I loved my wife until there was a shark. <laughs> and I'm out. Peace. You learn a lot when you're being pressed. And in Mark 4, the disciples, they learned. They learned. But this storm was a good thing. They would need the faith that would be built from this storm, that definite knowledge that he is who he says he is, the Messiah. They would need that storm to build their faith for their other side. Remember Christ said we're going to go over to the other side? God has a destination and a promise on your life, my friends. It's called the other side. But sometimes on the way there, there's going to be a pressing. Sometimes you got to go through a storm, and he even allows those storms so that he can use them to prepare you with the exact thing that you will need when you get to the other side. So what I'm trying to tell you in a lot of words is that being pressed from every side, even though it feels terrible, is not always a bad thing. Because remember this, being pressed is the only way that you get oil. 
Being pressed is the only way that you get oil. That oil refined into fuel that you put in your car, guess where that comes from? Heat and pressure is what causes that oil. That you heat your house with heat and pressure causes that oil. But the thing is, that whole process happens underground. You don't see it. And that is what is so hard about your pressing season. Because people don't see it. They don't know what you're going through. They don't feel like the walls are closing in all around them. But you do. And it can be terrifying. And it can be lonely. And it can be hard. But guys, that same olive oil that anoints the head of the man or woman of God only comes from the oil, the olive being pressed. That oil only comes from the olive being pressed. When you see a minister or someone out in the streets, or someone in your office that has an anointing on their life, and there's just something different about them, you might say something like, oh man, they got oil. I would say, John Sal, man, he's got oil. LJ up here, he's got oil on his life. You can tell that, you can see it. You can clap for that, but hear this. When I say that that man has oil, you know what I'm really saying? I'm saying that that man has been pressed. That that man and woman right there, they have been pressed. They have gone through some things because you only get oil, you only get the anointing after the press. After the press, no press, no oil. But if we're honest with ourselves, man, we don't want to be pressed. We want to impress. That's what we want to do. Or we want to be impressed. But we don't want to be pressed. No, 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 no. We want to just buy that oil from the superstore down the street and then put it on display for everybody to see it. When it comes to anointing, when it comes to oil, when it comes to your purpose, you can't buy it. You can only earn it. You've got to walk through some seasons of pressing if you want to see that oil. It's good that you'll clap for that because it's hard. It's hard being pressed, but if you say you want to have oil, you better learn to become okay with being pressed. An olive, when you get olive oil, an olive gets pressed three times. You have a lot more to offer to God than an olive. So you're going to get pressed a lot more than three times. That's the bad news for you. You're going to get pressed. And look, I learned the hard way. I thought I could transition in my life from being a lawyer, liar, <coughs> lawyer, excuse me, to a pastor, which by the way is weird. Like, I haven't met many people who do that. I thought I could do that without getting pressed. And then as soon as I started, a glass wall collapsed and took most of my lower leg away. And I couldn't walk for a year. And then that got better. God healed me of that. That was really miraculous. And then we started this thing called the river. And we had a great first season. And people were coming to know Jesus. And I was driving down to North Carolina to my wife's family's house for Christmas. And a drunk driver going the other way on the interstate hit my car head on 100 miles an hour. I've been pressed. That's only two times. I'm not looking to forward to the third time, to be honest with you. You've been pressed. You've gone through some stuff, man, but you've got to understand that that pressing has produced an oil and anointing on your life, and God is going to use that pressing to get you to your promise. Your storms that you have gone through serve a purpose. I was surprised then when all that happened to me, but I'm not surprised now. It's part of the journey of following Christ. Christianity is completely forthright. 
Christianity tells you exactly what is coming. It promises you that you will be saved, and you will if you believe, but it doesn't say anything about not getting pressed. In fact, the emblem of Christendom is what? It's the cross. The cross in the Roman Empire was the most terrible depiction, the most terrible symbol that you could ever look at because it meant a painful death by suffering. The Bible is upright with you about it. But thank God that the cross was not the destination. It was only transportation. This storm that you are in in your life right now will not be your final destination. It's just transportation to the other side. But it's hard when you're being pressed from every side. It's not easy when you're being pressed from other side. But remember this, you will not be crushed. You are pressed, but you will not be crushed. So all that might sound great. And you'd be like, okay, preacher, I'm down with that. But I hope you would have a question that would follow. And it should look something like this. How do I get through the pressing? Because it sucks. And it hurts. How do I get through the pressing? That is the real question of our day. Because the pressing is coming. If you haven't felt it yet, I'm so sorry to tell you. It's coming. I know you came here to worship with John, Sal, and Jenna. You get in that. But it's coming. The pressing is coming. And you need to know this, when the pressing comes, that is when the enemy likes to do his dirty work. He doesn't come at you when you're in a faith-filled room all oiled up, praising the Lord. Uh -uh -uh. He comes at you when it feels like the walls are closing in. And when you're being pressed from every side. And what he tries to do during that season is to keep you focused on the pressing and off of the Savior. Focused on the storm and off of the Savior. Y'all, this is his only play. It's his only move. You know why? Because I hope you'll get excited about this. This is just a fact. The enemy cannot destroy the promises of God on your life. He cannot destroy what God has ordained for your life. He is powerless to do it. That is the truth in the word of God. He is not a powerful lion. Mm -mm, you have the lion of Judah, the real lion in your corner on your side. He is not a powerful lion. In fact, he even tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, what does it say? It says that the devil walks around like a roaring lion, not that he is one. He walks around with a roar, making a lot of noise, but it doesn't say that he is a lion that he just makes noise. His only move against the promises of God on your life is to make noise. But y'all, noise can be effective. Noise can be scary. Anyone ever been around little dogs? They're really annoying. I know because I have one. Put a picture of her up on the screen. Y'all can see my little puppy. What you saying, aw, for? That is not a cute seven-pound Maltese. That is a savage killer right there. And if you've met her, you would know. You come close to that thing, oh, good Lord, help you. She'll be growling at you. She'll be gnashing her teeth, looking all nasty, barking every step you take closer to her. I have seen six-foot-four, 250-pound men sprint from that little cute thing. I'm not lying. I'm like, bro, you know you could kick a 30-yard field goal with her, right? Like, why are you running from her? Why? She's all bark, but she's no bite. She sure does make a heck of a lot of noise, though. 
And you know what? It works. I've seen them run, all bark, no bites. So you know what she does? She flexes. She flexes all day. All day. You come close to her, she flexes. She's not letting you get near her. We had a 120-pound golden retriever. Beautiful dog. This thing had a jaw on her that could bite your hand off. 190 pounds per square inch of biting force she had. You know how many people were scared of that golden retriever? Zero. Everyone came up and gave that thing a hug. There's no such thing as a scary golden retriever. You break into private property and you see a golden retriever, it like takes you over to the TV and shows you where it is to steal it. It licks you while you're doing it. It doesn't have to flex, it just loves life. But I love her, she's great, she really is great. But she's all flex, man. Why am I telling you all this silly stuff about my little dog? Because the enemy is just like her. <laughs> I'm not making light of them, it's just the truth. You know why she barks like crazy anytime a stranger comes up to her? Because she's vulnerable. The enemy is vulnerable to you and the name that you worship. He is scared at the name that you worship. So all he can do, he's only got one move, bark, 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 bark. Noise, that's all he can do because he knows if the real action ever went down, he knows he's losing that battle. He knows the outcome, he's read the Bible all the way to the book of Revelation. He knows his future. So all he can do is make noise, but please remember this. If you don't remember anything else that I tell you tonight, when you are being pressed from every side, when you are in the storm, never forget the fact that you control the volume. You control the volume. Let me tell you what that means. He may make a whole lot of noise, but you control what you get to turn up in your mind and what you get to turn down in your mind. And he wants to turn up the tools that will destroy you and the noise that will paralyze you to scare you from seeing the oil that will be produced from your pressing. That's what he wants to do. In fact, it's his only move. And he's got a lot of tools. He will get you so worried about what the outcome of that storm will be. Y'all, I'll just confess to you. I am a professional worst scenario creator. If some problem comes my way, I can almost instantly tell you the 10 ways that it is gonna be terrible and catastrophic and I'm not gonna make it through. Is there anyone else bold enough to admit that they can create some pretty bad worst case scenarios? That's me. That's the kind of noise I'm talking about. He needs that noise going on in your head so that you will be so worried until a point where every time you try to move back, every time you try to move forward, you move back and back and back and then you become hopeless. Your worry becomes paralyzing. And you start giving up hope and you start saying things like, don't you care we're gonna drown? You give up hope, you accept that you're gonna drown. And then after that, he wants to get you apathetic and get you into apathy so you don't even care anymore, and then to get you tired. 
and exhausted of even trying so that you will stay in the storm that you were only meant to be in for a little while. This is what the Israelites did, y'all. They took a 12-day journey and turned it into 40 years because they were so worried that they became hopeless and then apathetic and just exhausted and tired. That is what the enemy wants to do when you get pressed. It's his window of opportunity. Listen to me when I say this. You giving up is the only way he wins. There's no other outcome where he wins in your life. Only when you give up does he have victory. That's his only path to victory. But now let me tell you this. Your only path to victory, when you are being pressed from the front, pressed from the back, pressed from each side, hard pressed from every side, is not to give up. It is to go up. It is to turn up the volume on your praise, on your worship, on your obedience to your Father. He wants you to give up, and God is telling you tonight to go up. That's the truth. That is his only way. He wants you to give up. You've got to go up. You've got to look to the hills to where your help comes from. Because if you do, my friends, you will see the goodness of God in the land that you live in. I'm almost done. We're going to go to worship soon. But I really like to be real with you because I hear a lot of encouraging messages. And I'm like, I told you last week, I'm that person that is like the, the pessimist, right? Yeah, that's nice, but what about this? What about this? I said something earlier that kind of bothers me. I said, you get to control what you turn up and what you turn down, right? Do you know how hard it is to turn down those voices of worry when you've become hopeless and you've become apathetic and you're just tired now and then go and the preacher says, just turn down those voices. Look, sometimes you cannot turn down the voice of the enemy, but you can always turn up your worship. You can always crank up your praise. You can always remind yourself that he did it before, so he will do it again. Because the fact of the matter is that the loudest voice in your head always is what ends up winning. Always. The loudest voice that is in your head eventually shines through and has victory. What do you crank up when you're in the storm? When there are waves coming from every side and you're not sure if you're going to make it, what do you do? Let's be real. Do you crank up the worry or do you run to the Father? Do you run to your Savior? You might not see him because he might not be in the bow. He might be in the stern behind you. You might not hear him because he might be sleeping, but guess what? He's still in your boat. And if the Savior is in your boat, you ain't going down. There is no scenario where you do. And the enemy knows that, so what he needs is to have you so focused on the what. He needs you focused on what is happening around you so that you won't be worried, hopeless, apathetic, and tired. He needs your eyes fixed on what your circumstances are so that you forget who you have with you. Is his only trick, it's his only play, my friends. This is the whole message in a sentence. It ain't about what you got, it's about who you got. That's bad grammar, but it's good preaching. It ain't about what you got or what you're in, it's about who you have in it with you. If he is in that boat, which he is, you are not going down. You are just getting some oil.
Is there anybody excited to see what oil comes from their next storm? Anyone excited about that to see how God is going to use it? Use this process? Because you've got him, and remember this, what the Bible says, everything in heaven and on earth and under earth must bow to him. So I don't care how big your storm is. I know it's rough, but ultimately it must bow to him. But we love to make it about us. We love to read the Bible like we are the main character in this story. And we're not alone. You remember a guy named Moses? Pharaoh, let my people go. You remember him? Incredible man of faith. Ended 400 years of bondage and slavery for the Israelites. Incredible man of God. One of my favorite verses in the Bible I'm going to read to you. It's from Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. It's going to come up on the screen. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. In fact, I am slow of speech and tongue. Translation, God, I didn't have what I needed to do, what you're asking me to do before you called me or after. I still don't have it. I got a lot of problems, but I don't have it. And, the, and God replies in the most amazing way, and let this be an encouragement to you tonight in verse 11. The Lord said to him, Who? Who gave human beings their mouths? You're complaining about that mouth, saying it can't do what I'm telling you to do. Who gave you that mouth? And then he says to him, who makes the, them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or who makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Moses, you keep talking about what you've got and how it ain't enough. When did you start thinking you would be the one to do it? But we're in that storm. He's in our boat. And what are we doing? We're adjusting the sail instead of running to the Savior. It's what Moses did. And then God replies in verse 12. He says, now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Summary, stop worrying about what you've got and remember who I am. There is someone tonight that needs to hear that. You've been so worried, more likely in fact, about what you don't got that you have forgotten who you have. And the best way to remember the who in your situation, the best way to fix your focus off of the what and bring it back onto that who that God is talking about in the book of Exodus, the who, is to do this, is to do exactly what you came to do tonight, is to worship him only. That's how you do it. That's how you stay on the who. You worship him only only no matter how hard the pressing is getting. You turn down the volume on the what, and you turn up the volume in your car in the, on the worship like it's 2008, and you're bumping to apple bottom jeans and boots with the fur. You know what I'm talking about if you're over 30. If you don't, don't worry about it. You crank it up, man. You crank up the volume. It's hard to turn it down, but you can always crank it up. Worship is the key. It shifts your focus off of the problem and puts it on the only one who can actually solve it. It fixes your focus. It's the key. It reminds you that he is right there in your boat. It reminds you that he did it before. Why would I think that he won't do it again? 
my friends, it reminds you that you may be pressed from every side, but there is still somewhere to go. There's a way up that you can go, and you will not be crushed. Does that not excite you, that you will not be crushed, that you got somewhere to go when you're pressed from every side? That you may be perplexed. You might not know why you're going through this, but you are not in despair. Mm -mm, child of God, you are not in despair. That you may be persecuted, but you were never abandoned. That he will never leave you, he will never forsake you, and he will never abandon you. That you may be struck down. The righteous may fall seven times, but you will rise again. This is what Paul is telling you. We're going to go back to worship real soon, so would you get up on your feet? Some of you, man, you have been in a season of real pressure. Maybe you've realized it and you've been thinking about it every day. I got this kid, and I got this job, and I got this husband, and I got this wife, and I don't have enough money, and I don't know how I'm going to do it. That's what I'm talking about. When you're hard-pressed from every side. But Paul doesn't just leave us there. Paul goes farther. He reminds us all those things that we're pressed, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. We don't get it, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're never abandoned. And he says, because of that, 2 Corinthians 4, 16, that is why we will never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Who in this room is not giving up? You're being pressed, but you're not crushed. And that is why you are never giving up. Because you got them in your boat. Verse 17, for our present troubles are small. And they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us an oil, a glory that vastly outweighs them. It's not even close. Vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So he says, what do we do? Verse 18, we fix our eyes not on what? Not on what we see, but what is unseen. We don't see him when he's in the stern, but that don't mean he's not there. We fix our eyes not on the what we see, but on what we don't see. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. What is seen is temporary. It's only a vapor. It's only a little while. The pressing won't be this way forever. But what is unseen is eternal. That pressure that you are feeling, that storm is temporary, but your Savior is forever. That's the word of the Lord for you tonight. What you're going through is preparation for the other side. It's giving you the oil that you're going to need to get you there. Someone in this room came in thinking tonight that this current storm was going to be the end of their story. Maybe it was an addiction. And you thought you're never going to get out of it. You, you, you maybe to a few moments ago, you still thought you were never going to get out of it. Someone thought that the storm that they are in would be the end of their story. My friends, this storm that you are in is just 
the beginning. God has a promise on your life. Good plans not to harm you, but to prosper you, a hope and a future. And you just get him what you need for the other side, but you got to take action. You can't listen to all the barking and get scared and stay where you are. You got to turn up your worship. And I got really good news for you. We're not done tonight. You got a chance to worship him tonight. And I cannot wait to see what will be on the other side of your pressing. What that oil is going to equip you to do. I can't wait to see it. But we're being honest, it might feel like a prison right now, even still after you've heard these words. It may feel like a prison that you are in. But do me a favor. Go back to that first round draft pick. Come on, the one that you picked at the beginning. And slap them on the back real quick. And say, I'm okay. I'm okay. And you know why I'm okay? Even though it feels like a prison. Come on. Even though it feels like a prison. I got you. And you're my Silas. And when there are two or three gathered in his presence, there is power. But what happens when there are 2,000 or 3,000 gathered in his presence? I'll tell you what happens. Chains start breaking. Oil starts coming out of the press. He may have taken a lot from you, but he has not taken your praise. He has not taken your worship. And if you have nothing else, you have the most powerful weapon that you could ever hand. The most powerful thing that you could hold. So now you can say, I see what I'm in. I'm not a naive Christian. I, it's hard. I see these circumstances, they're real. But I also see who is in it with me. And he is greater. And if he says move, guess what? That mountain shall move. My friends, you have a blessed assurance. And his name is Jesus. So would you put your trust in God tonight?